Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. This is a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Recording on Thursday, July 29th, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from the increasingly abstract web entity attribution that is bookriot.com. <laughs> is it the URL? Is it the brand? Is it our you know cloud of newsletters and affiliated products? We're just we're, we're from Book Riot. We're from Book Riot. Can we say that now? We used, yeah. We're just I, from say, Book Riot. I think we should drop the dot com. Yeah, we're just right. from Book Riot. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Have you checked out the Google.com? Um <laughs> recently <laughs> well it was so interesting you know i just finished reading an ugly truth yes. the big book about facebook yeah. and having to see them refer to it in the copyrighted the facebook way that it was just in the first couple of years facebook. when it was the facebebook.com i was like that's i remember that just and that was whoever thought that was a good idea it was you're, zuckerberg you're the there's in the social network and i don't know if it's true or not but um yeah timberlake plays sean parker the napster guy and his big thing is just to go yeah just facebook like there's a big mm-hmm. thing, so yeah, that's a, that's a good note. I, I we're we're suffering from an embarrassment of riches when it comes to cringe tell-alls about startups because I got this WeWork book that I'm interested in. Oh, the Facebook yep, one I, I think is a bridge yet. too far. Ben Mesrick has a book coming out about meme stocks and Robinhood. I just saw that in Publishers Weekly the other okay. day, which I'm very interested yep. in. Um, did you see today that the CEO and co-founder of Nikola, which is one of the myriad um, electric vehicle startups of various levels of business, <laughs> actual business, various levels of actual business. business. That is some subtle shade. And I, appreciate I don't think it. it's that subtle. It's like, is there a thing here or not? I, it's really hard to know. And then the rise of SPAC special purpose acquisition companies, mm-hmm. I think is what's, there's a whole bunch of, um, malfeasance, uh, with various levels of, um, feloniousness uh, coming yeah, out. Yeah, the Facebook the Facebook book I will say is not a like insidery tale of a startup. Mm. It's almost exclusively about the now like decades long history inside Facebook of making decisions intended to avoid government regulation cool. and and making decisions without real imagination about how this might play out mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years in the future when more people and more cultures are impacting their politics right. with Facebook. It was, I was just the eyeballs emoji for most of it in a way that made me feel kind of sick to my stomach, yeah. but I'm glad I read yeah, it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we've got a, it's going to be a bit of a survey, year in review, a lot of big things. Book um, Amanda Nelson for us, I mean, it did this, right? The pandemic reading habits survey. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I'm, I'm now, now I didn't want to get that wrong. Um, where we surveyed Book Riot readers about what their reading habits changed, how they did, didn't change over their, the course of the pandemic, which is now going to have a little bit of longer legs than we had hoped, it looks like, in, in many ways, or in different factions and get vaccinated and all of that stuff. Um, Publishers Weekly had a survey of people writ large and their reading habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got some Publisher Weekly stuff about sales year to date, which I think is very interesting. 
Um, but for, but before we do all that, let's get into a first sponsor. And you've got some updates about how what is <laughs> and is not historical fiction. <laughs> but we'll uh, handle a sponsor first. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Rebecca, Mary Jane, you have decided it is not historical fiction. You read it. Are you done? Yes, okay. I read it over the weekend. And? It's a good summer novel. Okay. It is not historical Okay, fiction. tell me why, based it's... upon the 7 to 78 priors <laughs> and definitions we floated with various degrees of certainty last okay. episode. So the elevator pitch is that it's about a teenage girl in the suburbs of Baltimore who gets a summer job as a babysitter for another family nearby. And the family, the dad in the family, is a psychiatrist who's treating a famous rock star for addiction. And because he's so famous, the guy is like hiding out in their house and his partner, who is a movie star, is there as well. And this is like the whole intrigue. Mary Jane is there to take care of the kid because dad is busy treating the rock star and mom is busy entertaining the rock star's wife. And it's the 70s and they're just not terribly engaged as parents. There are like a few 70s set pieces, like, you know, some references to other popular bands and that kind of thing. But for the for the bulk of the story, you could set this in any time because it's mostly about this young girl has a particularly like strict family mm-hmm. life where she doesn't she doesn't know that she doesn't feel connected until she goes and spends her summer with this other family and they are very like they're messy but they're effusive and they love each other and they kiss their daughter and tell mm. her that they love her and they welcome her into their family and she has this that epiphany that we all have in some way when we get outside of our own family's households of like oh this is what life could be like in some other version and you could move that story into literally right any decade like you could move it forward and the technology of hiding the rock star gets complicated because of smartphones you could move it back into the 50s and the households would be serving different food and listening to different music and maybe it's like an elvis kind of rock star instead of a 70s groovy dude with you know like his shirt unbuttoned and wearing feathery necklaces but it's the the story is relatively timeless the 70s stuff is details mm. it is not historical fiction <laughs> i think even by our which I, which i find myself now to be persuaded by that historical fiction covers things that reside outside the living memory of people who could be writing the book at the time of the book's writing is pretty compelling mm. to me and by that that covers mary jane now if this book was set in 1934 and it's about you know chet baker you know, a jazz musician, or even, mm. I guess people are alive in 1934. Mm-hmm. Is there, it's set in 1896 about Gilbert and Sullivan trying to hide the writers of light operas. 
by, almost by <laughs> definition would have to be historical fiction because no one would understand how things work. So you have to explain more of that right. stuff, right? Which you don't right. in 1979 yeah. or whatever. By that definition... Yeah. And his, Gilbert and Sullivan are real. Yeah. They were well, real that's people. True. If you had sort of a... To protect the identities of Gilbert and Sullivan, you mm-hmm. had a, a stand-in. <laughs> right. Be careful. Wilbert and Mullivan. <laughs> <laughs> the USS they just go Penta Nature. Yeah. Um <laughs> they just go around town wearing those glasses with like big fake rubber noses so on. So awesome. <laughs> um but then using that definition, even almost famous itself, which is the comp that got me interested, is also we mm. don't use this for movies. I don't I don't know if I guess in movies they call it a period piece. Is that synonymous with you essentially with historical oh. fiction? I don't know. I would th- I, I would think I would consider Almost Famous to be closer to historical fiction because it really is about that moment in time, like mm-hmm. those bands and being a groupie in a way that like I imagine there are still, <clears throat> excuse me, I imagine there are still groupies today, but that it looks pretty different. Um, I think Almost Famous is very much about the 70s. Interesting. Um, yeah. Lester Bang saying, I wish you were here for rock and roll. You know, you missed the thing. Yeah. Um, Patrick yeah. Fugic saying, you know, kind of coming in at the end. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's I think that's interesting. Could you have moved that to 1993, right as Kurt Cobain dies, and it being about grunge, mm. right, or something like that? I think you could yeah. reasonably do it. Yeah. Um, interesting to to think about. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I said I was going to read Mary Jane. I didn't. I got distracted by a book I really liked um, that I had my eye on: "The Thousand Crimes of Ming Su" by Tom Lin. It is a western oh. kind of okay, absolutely historical fiction. It's like so obviously, but I hadn't really thought about how. Um, Westerns are historical fiction almost by what you understand. Western is a subset of historical yes. fiction. I guess there's modern Westerns, yes. like No Country for Old Men. Mm. Not historical fiction, I wouldn't say. But Writer Percival Everett. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah something stuff. like that. But a Western that is set in 1890 is absolutely almost, I guess really maybe the first flowering of historical fiction was the idea of the Western in like um, Bret Hart novels or Zane Grey or um, Mm. stuff that happened earlier in the centuries. But even that was sort of concurrent. Like, I I do think one thing that you're circling around is almost a fetishization of the time period. Fetishization is maybe Mm -hmm. too strong. Um, But an overt concern with the, the minutia of the time is part and parcel of it. So you got, got to scratch a couple of itches, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that Mary Jane was enjoyable. I look forward to reading that on my break here. It's really fun. In a couple of weeks. Um, I was going to do some sales stuff because I, I had this idea. I always have these ideas, Rebecca, as you know. And <laughs> You have you yeah, ideas? And I was thinking about some uh, additional segments we could do. We're thinking about some extra content for the fall. And one of these ideas I've had, like it's something... I've had an idea about for a long time of like, even just for fun, I'm not trying to do one of these authoritative lists on the ringer of like the best hundred TV episodes of all time. But, okay. But from a perspective of like, who are the hundred most relevant writers right now? If you're going to make a list mm. like that and you can spin relevant all you want, the writers you need to know, something like that. So if you're interested in books, okay. and really what you're maybe interested in is knowing about what the zeitgeist is about books at a given moment, who are the hundred you need to cover? And I've had this idea in my head for a while, and something struck me when I was reading Publishers Weekly this week about 
how you could define that because it's it doesn't it goes back to the books of the year and it connects with that books of the year conversation we, we were having about it's not just mm. sales it's not just critical approval it's sort of you need two of the three things i was like that's kind of interesting for this because i think you get into some weird situations where many of the best-selling books best-selling authors would not be on my list of the 100 most relevant authors i was looking at the hardcover front list fiction let me just give you the top okay. 10 daniel yeah, silva yeah, yeah. laura dave debbie mccomer Miranda Cowley Heller, Daniel Steele, James Patterson and Bill Clinton, Taylor Jenkins reads with their debut novel, Malibu Rising, number seven, Clint McElroy, <laughs> Matt Haig, Benedict Murray, TJ Newman, Grady Hendrix. And I was like, to get to, to have 10, I'd need to get down to number 20, I think, because I'm not including Daniel Silva. You mm. don't, he's not relevant, sells books, but not relevant, right? Would you agree with yeah, me in that yeah. way? I, I do agree with that. It's, selling a lot is one of you have to have sold a lot of books to get into the zeitgeist but selling a lot of books doesn't get you into the zeitgeist i think the zeitgeist for me weirdly is easier if i need zeitgeist and sales what number what amount of sales do you need to cross that threshold that's the one i'm finding myself struggling with because the one that's interesting to me this week the final girl support group by grady hendrix debuted at number 12 on the hardcover front list fiction list Okay, it sold 10,000 copies. Okay, Grady Hendrix has had a nice run since his debut horror store in 2017 of mm-hmm. interesting books, does something a little bit different. Maybe the most aptly named publisher of quirk books, because I don't know what genre this is <laughs> at this point that Grady Hendrix does. Sorry. He has kind of the Andy Weir, uh, Dan Brown, kind of invented a subgenre of the thing they write in. But this is a breakout book from him because the... I don't, the the thing is too small and my eyes are too, uh, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, the last book that people really liked, Mm -hmm. it did well on the site, we've seen people talk about it, that sold 4,000 copies in its first week, so this is more than doubling that, and that's up from 700 copies from his earlier book and up from 400 copies for Horror Store in week one. So there's a a delta there that I think is interesting, but with that That level of sales, a few books... Does Grady Hendrix make the 100 most relevant author list? I was like, it, it caught a short circuit oh. in my brain. Like, it's one of those I am lying <laughs> statements that confuses computers or whatever. I was like, I don't know. Right. I am going backwards and forward and moving around. <laughs> Is that, am, I, am I crazy? Or am, am I, um, I too tied up in knots? Is that an interesting edge case to you? And I was like, Is Grady Hendrix the it's... edge case? Is he like number 98 oh. on my mental list of 100 most relevant authors? I was going to say if he's on the list of 100 most relevant authors right now, it's near the bottom. Right. And I I think it's partially because sales, how many sales you have to get to break into the guy, the zeitgeist is a moving target. Yes. Like it depends on what else is out at the same time, who you're competing against and how those other books are mm-hmm. selling as well. Like there's... And I think, of course, publishing wishes, and I think it would be interesting for us to just have some baseline number where we could say, if you sell this many copies of books in your first week or in your first month or your quarter or whatever, you are going to be like in the popular imagination. You'll be in the zeitgeist. People are going to be talking about the work that you've made. Like, I just don't think that exists because sometimes there's a huge, you can go the other direction where like, there's a huge first couple of weeks because there was a lot of pre-publication buzz. And then after the book is released, it turns out to like that the substance doesn't quite stand up to the buzz and that book goes away yeah. from the zeitgeist, even though the, the initial sales looked like, oh, this is going to be a breakout or this is going to be a big deal. So there's 
there's just no way to anchor it directly yeah. to the sales. I think it's a it's some sort of weird like quadratic type equation, maybe right, with like multiple like, feedback loops and recursionary yeah, processes. And, yeah, how do you weight these things and how do they impact each mm-hmm. other? Because of course, like once it starts selling and people start talking about it, it's going to sell more and probably be more talked about Grady Hendrix is that's a really interesting one I think if he makes the list of relevant authors I guess now we're talking about the particular Grady Hendrix question it would be because there is something relevant about that sort of genre blending genre mixing that he does that is unique to this unique and relatively new to this time in I think that's right and when we're talking about zeitgeist we're not talking about capital Z, we're talking about lowercase reading zeitgeist, like the people who care about books and reading that don't just read mass market paperbacks, that are interested in picking up something that's interesting. They're interested in being interested in books, I guess, more than anything, rather than just looking for something Mm -hmm. to read. Because that's why I can throw out, I mean, here, let me, let's do the, let's do the 20 authors, right? Because we can, I think this is interesting. Daniel Silva, we throw out. People like those books, Mm -hmm. they sell. They're not interesting in a macro way. They're just not. Laura Dave, the last thing he told me, I think is a thriller, Simon and Schuster. Mm-hmm. Name another book by Laura Dave. What is this book about? I think I'm throwing that out. Debbie Macomer, yeah. Daniel Silva situation. Miranda mm-hmm. Cowley Heller, The Paper Palace. I think you need more than one book I've heard of. Me, I'm just saying. Like, I think you need more than one, unless that one is huge. We'll get that to in a second. Daniel Still, I'm throwing out. The Bill Clinton and James Patterson one is a little interesting because it's not just JP. <laughs> It's Clinton. Right. Is that relevant? I think no. not. I think not. Taylor Jenkins reads. I would say she's a relevant author. I, I would guess if yes. I did a, a differential and I wrote down 100, she would be the top 100. That's my guess right now. The Adventure Zone. No, this is something else. Matt Haig, The Midnight Library. This book is selling. He has a couple mm-hmm. other books. There. I think he's on. He's, he, I at least write his name down and see who goes yeah. ahead of him. Do you agree with that? Yeah. The person, yeah, I don't know if he makes the top 100, but he's in consideration. Yeah. Marie Benedict, interesting. The oh. personal librarian, which is the uh, circle yeah. fiction, absolutely circle fiction by Belle de Costa Green. She does a bunch of these going back into history, finding an interesting, I think, exclusively female characters at this point. I could be wrong about that, mm-hmm. and sort of shining a light and telling a story that people like. This one's interesting because she does it pretty consistently. They sell very well, and it's. I don't think the genre's completely played out, kind of like a techno thriller or like a regular mystery thriller, but it's also not, I don't know. It's an industry. It's not super fresh. Yeah, I feel like she would have been more likely to be on my list of relevant when the, I can't remember which one was the first one of hers, but when the first one came out and it was kind of a new thing that was happening in books was telling these previously untold stories about women who were really important to science and history and had not been acknowledged before. And even if, maybe even if the genre itself is a little long in the tooth or, or at least getting there, you need to be the standard bearer, which I don't think she is because the standard bearer is down on the list. We'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next one is uh, TJ Newman's, Falling, which is a thriller about a flight attendant. It's selling pretty well. It's a no. debut novel. I don't think there's anything there. Grady Hendrix. Here's a commercial fiction, Elon Hildebrand for Golden Girl. Mm. I don't think so. But again, I maybe would put her on the list to see, but I'm not dismissing out of hand. Or am I? Are you yeah. dismissing out of hand for that one? I don't know. She's very popular. Yeah. But not in... Doing something new that people want to talk about, way. Right. where I think you might get someone who 
just is up a level in terms of zeitgeist is Lyanne Moriarty, who does something similar. Yes, I don't think I'm including yeah. both of them. If I'm including one, I'm including Moriarty, I think, not Helen Hildebrand. I think that's, I think that's a good distinction. And something's sort of coming together for me that like Debbie McCumber, James Patterson, right. Hildebrand, some of these are sort of mainstay authors of like readers that tend to be a generation or so older than mm-hmm. us. And we're already like a generation right. or so older than the folks who are, who are generally driving the zeitgeist right now. Mm-hmm. And so you also have to be appealing at volume to like the, to the audience that is driving cultural conversation. Yes, and right. that, 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 that largely now means being appealing and relevant to folks who are participating in literary culture on the internet Mm -hmm. in some way that's right that's right andy weir i'm actually putting on my list i think yes um Mm -hmm. alex michaelides is interesting um the maidens i read i didn't particularly like the book had a giant print run the first one the silent patient i think this borderline if this one had sold better and was better i'd be more interested in this um on the Mm -hmm. other hand don't you just want donna tart um (laughs) i don't know interesting Kristen Hanna is next. She absolutely goes on the list. I don't think there's, that's what I was talking about Mm -hmm. with um, Marie Benedict. Uh, Kristen Hanna is, she sells the most. People know her. She, Mm -hmm. close to a brand name. John Grisham, at some point, Kristen Hanna will be John Grisham. Yes. But John Grisham is not on the Mm -hmm. list. No. B.A. Paris, the therapist, uh, not on the list. V.E. Schwab is absolutely on this list. Mm Mm-hmm. Invisible Life of Adiru, the darker shade of magic stuff. She's had a whole bunch of stuff. She's got. A, she's extremely online. Genre crossover genre hits. You got to put on the list. And then the last yeah. one is Such a Quiet Place by Megan Miranda. Again, this is one of those commercial thrillers that could be picked by Reese. Maybe this one even was. And they tend to die on the vine six months later. And we'll see if anyone cares about her next book when it's not picked by Reese. Right? That's Megan Miranda at this mm-hmm. point. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the nonfiction list. I think all of the one-off political books don't count. Michael Wolff's new Trump book? Nope. Sorry. On the other hand, Michael Pollan, I think, is on my list. Or at least it's a candidate. Yeah. I think he's a candidate. He stays relevant and this the subject matter that he writes about gets up, like he's updating what he's concerned about mm-hmm. as culture changes what it is concerned about. So let's like, use it. Going from food to like plant-based yeah. Plant-based medicine and psychedelics is a really interesting evolution. Here's here's two that will pain us to to think about. Um, <laughs> oh no! Well, Adam Grant and Gladwell—they're in the same bucket at this point. I think Adam Grant is relevant. Okay. He's all. He's still all over. Not pop culture, but like you can't swing a cat without hitting a podcast that's interviewing. Do you think Adam he Grant. wakes up with one of those in ear mics? Just he wears <laughs> one because he's ready to TED talk at any time. He's extremely yes. available. Let's put it that way. Those those Madonna mics. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just Adam Grant's like cooking breakfast for his kids in the morning, and he's like. You know, it's really important to be mindful, not just about how long you cook the egg, but how you flip the egg. Glad. I think I think I agree with you that at at some point, Adam Grant will (laughs) calcify into a known quant. No, this happens, right? This is Uh this is why we're excited about people who are exciting, like our boy Colson Whitehead, because you're surprised. Are you going to be surprised by Grant in two years with another book? That's 
exactly why I think Malcolm Gladwell is going is either off the list or is making his way off the list is that he is a pretty known quantity yeah. calcified. There's not a fresh surprise coming. We haven't had a fresh surprise from Malcolm Gladwell in a while. And like, that's fine. That's fine. He does interesting work and he has certainly has an audience for it. But he's not like driving. People aren't talking about Malcolm Gladwell like I don't know at these imaginary dinner parties that no one ever has anyway. no one that's never but existed not, with but, where they drink martinis and talk about Proust right. and also Norman but Mailer like, and also Joan Didion yeah. <laughs> right but like the tipping point was a big thing that everybody talked about yeah. around the same time that like Freakonomics came out and people were talking mm. about that and those were sort of the groundbreaking ideas of the time and I think Adam Grant is closer to the tip of that right now he's talking about technology he's talking about work his social media is largely about the intersections of those things mm. and also just in bigger ways how we understand work inside the culture yeah grant is in gladwell's out. Glad, uh, gladwell I, I might make a case a because i like the last book and b because what gladwell's doing in terms of having his own audio production company and being audio first and the richness of the audio production i think is interesting so that's mm. a little bit different than the formal medium stuff is is pretty and, and bomber mafia actually was a bit of a departure anyway I'm, I'm not super i think it's more of an interesting question than needing to come up with an answer and i, I think it's also important sure. you just said it's also important that this is by saying relevant you by definition you're saying this is fluid you're not saying mm -hmm. the most well-known authors you're not saying the most even important authors because you could write one really important book and not write anything for 50 years and not be relevant if that makes sense yeah um, i guess right now Again, we try not to talk about her because of her, her transphobia. Um, but Rowling is an interesting case because I think she's an important titan, but Rowling's not relevant right now. She just isn't. Agree. Um, so that's a good Agree. example. And I think Grisham is like that. He's going to go down as one of the best-selling authors of all time. But he's less relevant than King. King mixes it up. He'll try historical fiction. He mm -hmm. does other stuff. He'll do a, a crime novel that's only... King is re weirdly very relevant for someone who's published, I think, 10,000 books at this point. Yeah. And he experiments like in literary culture right. as well. Of, like, I'm going to try doing this book that only comes out from independent mm -hmm. bookstores. I'm going to try doing this thing that you can't buy on Amazon or this one is only in print or this one's only in ebook. And that keeps him maybe not fresh in like the general reading public's mind. But if you pay attention to books, there's, you know, we don't go very long without some sort of Stephen King related. Right. Headline. Yeah. And can they can they surprise you? Um, I think is part of right. it here. Uh, other ones that are interesting, Isabel Wilkerson, absolutely. Oh, Crying yes. in H. Mart Mazel's Honor. This goes against Jeff's directive one, which is you need more than one book. But this is borderline because this is the hipster pick. And I'll throw us into this. People are talking about this. People who care about caring about books and publicly performing their care about books mm -hmm. are into this book. Yeah. I might have to long list Zahner right it's... now. I might have to keep her on the list. Yeah, I can get behind yeah. that. Kind of fun. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do mm -hmm. 100 at some point and say... Um, what goes in that would be spicy but it's just for this is all <laughs> for fun spicy. <laughs> fun spicy um one name That's i just looked at here. matthew mcconaughey's green lights we talked about how well it sold we got a nice email from someone at um an austin bookstore and mm. as you might imagine they can't keep it in stock just well, selling thousands of copies a week and 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 this person said we might alone be keeping it on the bestseller list. And when you look at it, wow. well, look, it sells 6,000 copies a week. If, if book people in Austin are selling 1,500, that's 25% yeah. of the copies. If they weren't selling it, I guess it would, let's say that no copies flowed through book people and it dropped it down to 4,000 copies a week, it would still be on the top 20, I guess. Um, yes. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm glad for that. Good for Matthew McConaughey. You, you, I'm sorry. While I'm doing the the bizarreness, the <laughs> surprise of what number twenty on the hardcover front list nonfiction list this week, the unofficial Disney Parks Cookbook. <laughs> so there is like no cookbook I've ever wanted less. <laughs> so you can make the stuff you can buy at Disneyland, but unofficially, it's not that someone's gone and reverse engineered all the. Re- <laughs> I know there's enough of a Disneyland fandom out there to support stuff like this. I'm just surprised it made the top 20 of the hardcover fiction. That's uh, nonfiction. Truly, pardon. how many units did it sell? 3,500. Okay. Just uh, 100 you know, cop- copies behind your uh, ugly truth there, actually, it turns out. Th- yeah, that's all you need is a passionate Facebook group of Disney people so. and to launch a situation very, like that. Very, very interested in that. I want to know like everything about the lives of the people who are stoked about reverse engineering Disney recipes. There was a long article really... in Vulture about adult fans of Disney that I read that. <laughs> I'm so glad they're happy. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy for them. Sounds like they're having a great time. No, please direct your emails to Jeff. <laughs> I'm thrilled for them. It's they sound like they're having a great time. Um, and with that, let's do a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the BR one or the Publishers Weekly one? You want to go micro to macro or macro to micro? Mm, let's go macro All to right, micro. so then you have to lead then. You said where we're going right. to go, so you got to drive. <laughs> All right, so macro, Publishers mm-hmm. Weekly. Reading time rose 21% in the second half of... 2020. This is according to a survey that was released by the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, it's called the American Time Use Survey, which, like, that's a whole fascinating. How much thing time did they spend own. taking surveys? Did they ask that one? <laughs> it's very meta. Yeah, thank Jeff. You. Um, reading among people who were 15 years old and over increased by 21 percent from May to December um, over the same period in 2019. And the data shows that reading of all kinds increased from 28 minutes per day in 2019 to 34 minutes per day in 2020. So I think there's a few interesting things here. The reading of all kinds is very important, and they don't go into any more detail than that. So we're talking about, I, I, I think, if you can read it, it counts. So I assume we're talking about books, the internet, hmm. newspapers, magazines, whatever. Um, the other thing 
I mean, we always kind of cold, throw cold water on a headline like this. It's like, yay, reading time rose 21%. And it's like, all right, we're talking about a difference yeah. of six right. minutes. Like, are the kids really all right? Like, <laughs> we were reading 28 minutes per day on average in, 20, in 2019. And then we read 34 minutes per day on average in 2020. And I want to, like, abstract this from the nature of 2020 because if it was like all we did was read for 34 minutes per day in 2020 2020 was a disaster and getting reading done was really difficult Mm. so doing if you managed to do anything for 34 minutes a day in 2020 my hat is off to you (laughs) (laughs) like probably the only thing i did for 34 minutes consistently in 2020 was like stare off into space thinking about the existential dread um But in the big picture of like, this is a headline about the health of reading, I guess it's good that it went up. It's not terribly surprising that it went up because we were all locked in our houses and people were buying more books because they weren't going places where they were spending money and doing other things with their time. Mm -hmm. But the big picture of like, reading is up is for me very mitigated by like, we're talking about a difference of six minutes per day. And this big high number is still 34 minutes when we spend an average of about three and a half hours a day looking at our phones mm-hmm. so i think there's some breakout yeah. stuff there i guess if we knew this was coming we should have played the game of what do you think the number is going to be right mm-hmm. i know I, I remember on whole that 28 per minutes per day is about a half hour is what i have in my brain now again the delta on okay. that is pretty the bell curve on that is pretty weird. You've got a lot of people that read a lot more and there's a lot of zeros too at the same time. So mm-hmm. if you had said it's pandemic year, what do you think happened to reading time? A, up or down? And then depending on which way you go, what percentage? I would have gone up for sure um, uh-huh. because I, we know about book sales and I assume it's at least correlated. So I did that. I don't know what percent number I would have. I, I, I can't separate myself from having seen the number now because part of me is like only 21%. You had nothing else to do. Um, on the other hand, everyone had the internet and streaming and it was hard. I read probably less than an average year. And this is borne out a little bit in the demo breakdown. My age group mm. um, of, let's see, where is it? We were, I was in one of the age groups that didn't do as much more, right? The people that read more, more, yeah. <laughs> weird, uh, more than that 21%, 20 to 34-year-olds, which makes a ton of sense to me. Those are the people that go out the most. They're not going mm-hmm. out. They're looking at replacement activities. Makes sense. And people over age 65 read more. People, older people were scared crapless, and rightly so. So they really weren't going yep. out. And then people older than 75, by far the most time, A, they read the most anyway in any given year. Yes. But 95 minutes a day, they didn't have anything else to do. They weren't streaming Ted Lasso, right? or most of them weren't. You know, they're not doing TikTok. They went to books a lot. Mm-hmm. For, for, that's for sweet retirement people. life. Yeah. 95 minutes a day of reading, that sounds great. I'm not surprised that 34 to 65-year-olds didn't have the big increase. Um, in my demo... Well, yours too. There's a lot of parents there. Mm-hmm. Our time got sucked up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our attention got sucked up in different ways. I'm not surprised to see that at all. Black people, 140% jump. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do with that. That is surprising. Do you have, do we have a theory? Well, they also say later that 
economic and educational divides presented a stark picture there but i don't see like a regression analysis that combines these things and if you i think in like by common wisdom if we take that in general black americans suffer from more disadvantage economically and are at a greater yeah Mm -hmm. a greater disadvantage economically for all of the systemic reasons than they were hmm. well everybody was sort of stuck in there yeah i I wonder if i I wonder if increases was negatively correlated with whether or not you kept your job because black unemployment was had the word and still remain black unemployment still lags Um, so maybe there was more time at home because they were the most likely to lose their jobs on the whole i I don't i don't have a good one covid is also not the only thing that happened in 2020 we had massive protests and people to pick up some books maybe yeah Hmm. i think that that might be part of it especially since we're talking about reading of any kind um reading about what was going on in the world reading about the murder of george floyd and the protests and black lives matter might have been Mm -hmm. something that was factoring into that as well um Americans with no high school diploma, the the daily average fell 42% to 11 minutes per day. People with at least a bachelor's degree increased their reading time by 24% to 52 minutes per day. Upper middle class folks jumped mm-hmm. 131%. Work from home, you're not commuting, I yeah. guess, kind of stuff. Or yeah, folks on the lower end of the educational spectrum probably more likely to have some of those jobs that we considered essential, right. like, you know, grocery and retail, mm-hmm. where they were working more and were highly in demand yeah. and very stressed out for good reason. I would love to know if, if you all have seen out there any studies about black folks reading habits over the last year, because it, it stands out um, in a way that I don't have a really interesting theory to um, up to 24 minutes a day. So still below the average across all, but up a ton. And I wonder a further breakdown of that would be fascinating to hear, or if there's some, there's some phenomenons going on that we here are not privy to clearly at this point to be that surprised. And that's an interesting, creates some interesting tension with some of the other stats that we've seen that black women as a group spend a lot of money relative to the average on are more uh, on books and a lot of time relative to the average reading. Mm -hmm. Um, so lots of confounding a fascinating, factors. a fascinating, yeah, white Americans increased only 19%. So a lot of this pull up 21% that was above like the 18 or 19% Asian Americans increased by 9%. Latino Americans stayed flat. Almost all of the pull up by demo came from black people reading more. It looks like mm-hmm. based on this, um, that would be worth investigating and finding out, you know, where that's coming from and how that happened and how it can be built upon. Um, all right. Our own reading survey. Book Riot's Our own, own reading survey. survey. Yes. Let's start here with us. Did you fill this out? I, I didn't, I didn't fill either. it out. <laughs> Let's do this. Did you read more or less last but, year? You don't have to look. Just read, what does your heart say? I know I read more last year. I know. Okay. Um, because I keep a spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. Okay. And was it within, was it noise? Was it, you'd say, if you picked it out, you could say, up oh, pandemic year? Or like, how, how big of a deal was it? Um, it was not, well, it was more than 2019 and 2018. Mm. It was 
not directly because of the pandemic, but I guess tangentially because, well, maybe it was directly. There were some like things that I was doing volunteer wise and outside of my working life that I stopped doing Uh, because I didn't want any more stress during the pandemic. So it wasn't that the pandemic forced me to not do those things, but I made some personal choices about how I was going to spend my time and removed myself from some of those extracurriculars and had more time to just like sit down and read. Um, So my reading went up and it is staying on that path for this year, even though I'm like back out in the world. So that's interesting. All right. What about you? You said a less. lot less. And most of the difference is audiobooks, which I just mm. wasn't listening to last year because I didn't have the same, those moments of walking the kids and doing the dishes and having time on my own where I could listen and do something else at the same time. I knew it was a lot of my audio time and, and, and makes up a significant part of my reading time. I didn't realize how far it would go away. I also had some trouble figuring yeah. out what I wanted to read. And I, you, it, oh, that was very you get real. one of those cul-de-sacs yeah. of like, you don't know what you want to read, so you stop reading. Get out. It's like I, I find reading to be like exercising. If I've exercised three days in a row, my fourth day is way more likely than if I didn't exercise yesterday. Reading is the same for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I exercise so little that I have more experience with this book phenomenon. We're going pl- to let the readers do this, which I just had in this idea. We'll see how it goes. I want you all out there in your head to guess, because I'm going to give you the stats here in just a minute. But the question one, has the amount you're reading changed? And the answers Amanda provided were more, less, or same. Listeners out there, give yourself five seconds to think which percent, what percent of people, respondents to this survey, which remember is a survey on bookriot.com, the actual URL for book readers, what percentage do you think in your mind said they were reading more since the pandemic? Jeopardy, music, trademark, you know, whatever. (laughs) So your boy LeVar at a... I did. I didn't watch it. How do you do? He did yeah, great. I heard he did great. Okay. You've had your chance. The number is 58.4% said they read more during the pandemic. That would jive with the the prior we just gave you about pub, what publishers said everyone. Yep. But even people who already read quite a bit, the average book riot reader says they read 80 books a year or something like that, which is a, a wild mm-hmm. number yeah, completely like out of scale. something. Yeah. All right. Rebecca, are you... Up, down, sideways of your expectation. What number of you would have guessed from there? I think this is about right. More than half. I would have expected more than half of people to say they were reading more just based on what I heard Mm -hmm. over the last year or so. But I didn't think it was everybody is reading a lot more. And and there certainly were people being like, how can you focus on reading? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's about I think this is about right. I would have been surprised by anything above like 80, but I wouldn't have been shocked by like a 75. You know, that our demo, Mm, our listeners and readers doubled down, right, Um, on reading something. they Something they did anyway, but a lot more, a lot of people had a lot more time to do it. Not everyone, of course. Um, But just because you had more time doesn't mean you did it clearly. But yeah, on the whole. So if you're awesome at math, that means you know that 41.6% of the field is still available to split between (laughs) people said they're reading less and say they're reading about the same. So I'll give give you another minute to... Puzzle that out in your head there. See what you think. And the split there is about split, I would say. 18% said they're reading less. 23% said that hadn't changed. So marginally more said that hadn't changed. Um, you know, statistical significance, blah, 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 data sample. Um, but about, I'd say, would you, what, is that fairly evenly split? Would you say like kind of equal or is that yeah, 5% difference enough. big enough for you to matter change? 
I think if we were like in a statistics class, I would quibble right. with it, but we're on a books podcast, so it's fine. Where we can just say whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go through all these. Where do you want to do you want to do the same game with anything else? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The, the next okay. question has the length of books you're reading changed. Yeah. Um, so. All right. So yes or no, longer, shorter or same. LeVar Burton, quibble, quibble, talk, talk, small, small. 70% of people said they read the same book length that usual. I, I wouldn't even have thought to ask this question, frankly, myself. I wouldn't either of, you know, uh, yeah. 15% said they're reading longer. 15% said they're reading shorter. This means nothing changed, right? Because like, as many people reading yeah. longer or shorter, which is just uh, nothing. A net neutral. Net neutral. <laughs> Where you're getting your books from? Interesting. The big the big winners yeah. there. I don't think we need to go all the no. way into the percentages, but the big winners were Amazon and independent bookstores. Yeah. That um, the biggest increase is thirty one percent of people said they were buying more of their books from independent bookstores than before the pandemic, but then another twenty seven percent said that they were buying more of their books from Amazon than from before the pandemic. And especially if we factored in book buying habits at the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. when Amazon was open, but a lot of independent bookstores were closed or hadn't gotten there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. online retail situations up and running that makes sense amazon was one of the like persistently available yeah. sources there for a while yeah yeah um, most of these things are below all of them are below 33 percent. so i'm guessing this actually means probably you have to look at your base rates right so mm-hmm. amazon 27 percent of people said they're buying more from amazon is what we know is that Amazon represents about 60% of trade sales. So even doubt, mm-hmm. I mean, even more than that is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, that's interesting. The base rate for indies is pretty low. 6%, I think, of trade. In Midlist mm-hmm. and other stuff, it's Somewhere more influential. Yeah. So that's 31% of a pretty low rate already. So I'm having, I'd am having. i have to spend a little more time thinking of it. Um, mm-hmm. Used bookstores looks like a loser. 18% saying buying more from used bookstores. Those are closed hard to get to you're yep. with browse stuff that's tough and people were freaked out about touching stuff that other mm-hmm. people had touched and owned and yeah. yeah i think the next there's a question about did your reading format yeah, change I like that one. and this is yeah interesting and about i think where i would have expected it to be 47 percent of people said that there were changes in their reading formats and this is that 22 percent are listening to more audiobooks 29 percent are reading more ebooks and only 11% were reading more physical books. Also, 11% were reading fewer physical books. So physical books just like sort of chilled um, where they were. But big increases for audiobooks and ebooks, which also makes sense. Deliverability of those was much easier than deliverability of yeah. physical objects, especially early on. Library usage, the stats there are mixed. I don't think it means much. Um, we, I think Amanda started this wondering about genre. Like maybe is the thing she mm-hmm. got interested in the most. There's a pie chart here. It's very satisfying for those who like this kind of thing. <laughs> uh, stuck out to me. I think the biggest piece of the pie chart, so it has the most responses, 18.4% of people said they were reading with more variety. Um, mm. I thought that was, that's not what I was expecting. A lot of what we heard is reading, running home to mama, reading known things. Yeah. 
maybe you're reading a variety of things you already knew, a buffet of favorite dishes mm-hmm. rather than just chicken fried steak, which is clearly the best of all buffet dishes, just putting that out there right now. Um, more romance, 17.5%, the big individual category winner. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say. I, we'll link to the show notes as well. You might, people might have their own interests here. Um, I don't have another great one that's the most interesting or anything else on the genre yeah. breakdown or back anything for you Mm-mm. no all right looks pretty there's a lot of variety there that is an intensely satisfying pie chart it's very i could just look at it i'm just going to print one out <laughs> and keep it for moments of distress <laughs> yeah just gaze at this pie chart take a few deep breaths imagine that adam grant is guiding you through mm-hmm. the moment so taken all together more reading book sales are up they continue to be very up i'll just sort of put a button on this with the publishers weekly Trade sales um, total, I'm sorry, publishing sales year-to-date up 16.8% on a very good year in 2020 for book sales. Unsurprisingly, independent bookstores, the comps here were very good because this time last year, people, there was a little more movement than April and May and June, but still pretty tough. Mm -hmm. The big winner so far this year, young adult fiction, up 47.3% year over year. Is that TikTok? Mm Mm-hmm. I think it would have to be those titles that yeah. TikTok is driving. Yeah. The biggest loser so far, juvenile nonfiction. And that's only because everyone was buying books for people to try to fake school for their kids last right. year. Um, right. Adult fiction up 29%. Um, people turn into fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Adult nonfiction up 13.6%. So strength on strength. From there. All right, let's do one last sponsor. We'll come back and do a couple more spons- uh, a couple more stories. Okay. Mm, I don't want to do bad news this week. We'll save it for next week. Okay. Booker long list. I'm fine with that. Sure. I have, um, I'm not going to read them all. <laughs> Things we've talked about before on the list. Great Circle, Maggie Shipstead. Mm-hmm. Which I want to read is so damn long. Oh, I, but look, it's good. so it's six hundred pages, Rebecca. Could she just written the circle at like four hundred pages? <laughs> Even just a good yeah, circle. just an above average circle, <laughs> three hundred sixty one degrees. The good enough yeah. circle, <laughs> completely sufficient circle. Um, here's a book that no one was talking about, but now they are. Patricia Lockwood's "No One Is Talking About This." <laughs> Uh-huh. Making a Thorman off the top rope, Patricia Lockwood. We we keep her on the long list for relevant authors, right? I think so. I mean, Priest Daddy is going to stay relevant for a long time. Yeah, singular. As far as I'm concerned. Um, Claire and the Sun. That's why we're talking about this oh, Ishiguro. Yes, relevant, surprising. Mm. Nathan Harris's "The Sweetness of Water" came out last week. Um, it's about a couple of. Civil War soldiers that fall in love, romance, interracial. I'm reading this book. I, I'm going. I'm not reading it now, but I'm going to read this book. Sounds really interesting. Um, Richard Powers' book, which isn't out in the U.S. yet, Bewilderment, um, mm-hmm. which is like elevated dad book, I should say. Richard Powers at this point. Have you done any Richard yes. Powers work? You know what I'm talking I read, about? I have. I read the Overstory yeah earlier this year and i think elevated dad book is where i would 
No shade. Yeah. I think that's a great. That I love. I'm reading yeah. every Richard Powers book at this point for me. Yeah, it was. I think I got in like for my particular wheelhouse. The overstory got a little oversold of like it's amazing and it's about nature right. and trees and it was like I I kind of ended it up being like I think you might have underestimated how much I already read about yeah. trees. <laughs> you take a picture of a tree every day, Rebecca. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But it, I thought it, it's it's a very good novel. He puts together a very good novel. There's a lot of craft there. I, and yeah, absolutely. No shade as an elevated yeah. dad. And, and I think has to go on our, our long list of, ele- of relevant authors. Different enough, interesting mm. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sciencey, literary fiction. Don't quite know what you're going to get, but you also kind of do. That's, that's an interesting. You don't kind of know what you're going to get, but you kind of do. That's a... a a truth that I have to wrestle it's, with a little bit about some others. Right. It's, <laughs> right. It's not as reliably like Colson Whitehead. You reliably kind of don't know what the genre is going to be because he can do anything, but you know how you're going to feel. Yeah. It's it. not a random effect generator, yeah. right? It's, it's not just like randomly right. picking something. Up. Right. Uh, I don't know a lot, rather, a lot of the rest of the books. Rachel Cusk's mm-hmm. new book is on here. Some I don't know, which is great. I'm going to, I haven't looked them up before. Anything else you want to shout out here? No, really, Clara and the Sun is also the reason that I'm. That's why I put it on there, just list. to say, yeah. look how right we were about how great it is. <laughs> we and you know the Nobel. I was going to say we really bird dog that Nobel Prize winner, didn't we? Should be town scouts. <laughs> Have you guys considered acquiring books by Nobel Prize winners? <laughs> uh, well, you know there is a there's a new Louise Glick collection later <sighs> this year, so. <laughs> Stay tuned for my live reading and a continued reenactment of how I imagine her therapy goes. Speaking of, is it harder to make the most relevant, 100 most relevant authors list or to make our fall draft when we only get to pick 10? It oh. might be harder to make the 10. It is. A, the, I, I think it is. There's the Airdrake, well, I there's mean, the Cusk, the, the Pritchard Powers just on the American side. It's a, it, is, it is tough. It is a tough field. Yeah, I have... But I have a little document of like titles that are in consideration for our fall books draft. And it has like 35 titles on it. Unbelievable. And so even if I pick 10 and you pick 10 more that are on my list too, there will be another 15 we didn't talk about. (laughs) It's really wild. It's like, you know, some of those like elite national soccer teams are like the beat, the non-starters could probably medal in this competition. It's one of those kind of years. I mean, the fall is just wild. Movies are this way too. I would love... It is. like 17 things I want to see on October 8th alone. Um, yeah. And I would love to hear somebody in like high up in publishing talk about whether there's value to keeping the, that seasonality or would it be better to spread out these great titles across the year? Because we can kind of predict, you know, like August is usually pretty quiet for new releases. And then the first Tuesday after Labor Day in September is a bonkers explosion. And the Tuesdays up through like late October tend to be all pretty mm-hmm. big, lots of big books, but it are you doing a disservice to your authors and your readers by clustering everything like that? And then they all have to compete for the same airspace in that like seven or eight week period. And now that media is how it is, could you space them out? I have questions, I have questions too. I, I think for this year, there is a real hope that again, the kind of books that are on our list are bookstore forward, not just independent bookstore forward, but bookstore patron forward kinds of books. You want to see mm-hmm. them on the shelf. You're going to find out. You're going to browse. And people were hoping and thinking, and, I, and and in June it looked pretty good for September and October being pretty much back to normal for a lot of folks, but because of Delta and you know just yeah. not people not as vaccinated as quickly as we'd really like them to be, I think it's not going to be as 
I don't know, it's not going to be as vibrant in person. And so maybe mm-hmm. having a whole bunch of choices on the front table when you walk into Three Lives in Greenwich Village, not as many people are going to do that as maybe we hope they would. So I'm thinking maybe it backfired a little bit. If they had to do over now, make it available a little bit more into mid-July, into mid-August, where people could buy it online mm-hmm. or find another places. Um, I mean, there's some interesting books coming out in August. You know, Night Bitch came out this week, which I'm going to read, getting mm. nice notices. Um, I really... Yeah mishandled my tone of talking about night bitch on deals oh, deal, really? no, on deals 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 because i was like look at this book what an oddity and now oh, it's like a hipster thing and then people are talking about it we're mm. taking it seriously um and i'm looking forward to it i just i don't know it's hard to know in those like how serious these things are going to be i should have known it yeah, was fsg yeah. it's hard to know what's a gimmick yeah yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it's gimmick plus um like okay. it's it's a conceit uh a, a, a conceit is a gimmick for people with uh, mfas um basically <laughs> Yeah, I recently read Brood, oh, which I think was on yeah. either that same Deals, Deals, Deals episode, or maybe a, if we've done more than one, it maybe was a previous one, but it's like a woman who's raising a group of chicks um, and like thinking about her chicks on the small farm that she lives in on Vermont and how it relates to being a mother. Mm. And I think that one, it was not gimmicky, but it definitely felt MFA conceit right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's our show this week we're running a little bit uh not too long yeah, well you know yeah. there was one little succeed uh, let's do it maybe after succeed you want to take this one to get us out well i don't want to lose this one but it's not it's not something we might oh, come back yeah to. yeah it was um hang on i'm lost in oh, my tabs yeah, no. um may your effort succeed there was a piece on book riot this week by stacy megaly about little free diverse libraries and these are what they sound like. They are um, little free libraries that focus specifically on um, BIPOC authors and BIPOC story collections or collections of BIPOC stories. And it's cool to see this popping up. Um, yeah. So she's featuring some of them here. She's writing about how you can help um, if you want to have a little free diverse library, if you want to support one that's in your neighborhood and um, lots of ways to get involved, but really glad to see that um and a a really great piece by by stacy so may all of the efforts around getting more books by bipoc people into more hands in whatever fashion succeed definitely can find a link to that stories and all the links we talked about on this episode at bookriot.com slash listen email us podcast at bookriot.com if you have a theory if you know more about the reading habits of black folks in general or this year or if you've seen another piece we could link to i'm going to do a little research and find out um, if I can see if there's other insights that people have been talking about in that regard. I'd certainly like to know that. But as always, I'm really digging the reports from people's bookstores. We got a lot of those recently. I think there was the, yeah. the Book Talk one and what I do with my historical fiction and now the McConaughey. If you work in a bookstore and would be willing, and as you know, I won't use your name without affirmative consent. Um, sometimes even I won't use it if you do because I forget. But I would love to know what book at your bookstore you think people would be surprised to hear sells a whole bunch or out of scale. Mm. I always like these and it varies. This, this can be the, this is where regionalism can come into place. Like McConaughey at green lights. Um, shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. Really would like to know Rebecca. Thank you so much as always. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yeah. Have a good one. (laughs) 